This podcast delivered by Australia Post. Whatever you're sending, they make it easy to pay and print your shipping labels from anywhere. And if you're in a metro area, they can come and pick up your parcels with My Post Business. Find out more and go to ozpost.com.au slash podcast. Australia Post. They put everything behind your business. Now, time for the show. Hello, you're listening to the Devils and Details podcast on Business Insider Australia. I'm Paul Colgan. I'm the editor here at the Australia edition of, of BI. Uh, it is an historic day. It is in Sydney. It is just uh, coming up to 2.30 on, on Friday afternoon. And over the last hour, um, British television networks, um, including the BBC, have um, announced their projections that uh, on the current count, uh, Britain has voted to leave the European Union. Uh, this was a, a result that markets were not positioned for, and as a result, we have seen carnage on global markets across a rain, range of asset classes. Um, I'm here with David Scott um, from, from BI. Hello, world, and what a remarkable day it's been. And our guest this week on the show is, uh, is Chris Weston, who's Chief Market Strategist at uh, IG Markets in Melbourne. Um, no words, gentlemen. <laughs> it's been a breathtaking day, absolutely breathtaking. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know where to start, to be honest. I think you should probably uh, kick us into gear, Paul. Look, um, why don't we start with, um, with our old friend Cable. Goldman Sachs had a note out earlier this week where they said you know, they, they would expect the, the pound to devalue by about 11%. I think the fall we've seen today is um, nine bit over nine percent, um, but it's still been falling. Um, of course, uh, with the nature of this, we don't know where the prices are going to be by the time um, we finish this podcast. And never mind um, the, the middle of next week when some some of you may be listening. But um, but uh, but Sterling's move has been just enormous. Um, I saw one tweet earlier that it is the big, was the biggest uh, move in in forty five years. Uh, in the currency. Uh, Chris, uh, why don't you talk us through what you've seen? Well, I mean, I think in terms of, to put some perspective on this, um, in terms of the pound, we sort of, at one stage, we're looking at a, a six-month high in the pound, and now we're at a 30-year low. Uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, the sterling yen um, has fallen 15%. Now, to people who trade small-cap stocks, that might not sound like a lot, but... Um, you know, if you're trading currencies where the leverage is, is obviously very, very high, 15% is, is incredible. It, you know, this is once in a lifetime sort of moves that you're seeing in the pound. And, you know, th- this opens up a whole bunch of ramifications, not just for what the Bank of England do. I mean, there was always a, a, a belief that if we saw a big move, if we saw a Brexit, then potentially the Bank of England might have to come out and cut rates from 50 basis points, we haven't got much further to go, they may have to come and do more quantitative easing. And potentially we may even see this term helicopter money being used for more actively. The question now is if you, see, if you, if you are seeing the pound down 8 9% on a trade-weighted basis, you know, do they raise rates? Because this is going to be hugely inflationary. But the question now for the Bank of Japan, uh, the Bank of England, sorry, and Mark Carney clearly wished he'd, he'd stayed on a second term at the Bank of Canada, is, you know, Let's wait and see the dust, see what happens here, and see if it is really real carnage. Because at the moment, all the only thing that's moved is the pound, and also the FTSE. When it when it opens, will get absolutely taken to the cleaners. But what are you looking at now in terms of FTSE open? 
Well, we've seen, we've seen a bit of buying coming back in towards the back end of the day. Um, but, you know, obviously when people listen to this podcast, it's going to be, it's going to be retrospective. But we are expecting, you know, 5 6% for the FTSE. The, the, the good thing about the, the mitigating factor for the FTSE is there's a large percentage of the companies which really won't be too affected by this. I mean, you're talking about resource companies and, and bits and pieces. Um, and, and to be fair, it'll be the European banks, which will be hit very, very hard on this. And we could be staring back at a January situation where people were talking about the solvency of the banking uh, sector and Deutsches, everyone was talking about cocoa bonds, and we were focusing back again on credit default swaps and whatnot. We could be back at that stage. There's no doubt. You know, If we see Italian and Spanish bond spreads widen against German bonds, people will be talking about the asset quality because these guys own a, a boatload of this debt and the, the perception of their, their balance sheets will, will be a deterioration there. So European markets will, will get clobbered when they open up and, and you know, we could be facing back at talking about things like credit default swaps again. Now, um, I think one of the things uh, that has been remarkable has been um, the the moves. Um, I mean, the, 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 that huge fall in, in sterling didn't all happen just at once. Um, the, it, against the U.S. dollar, it has traded in a huge range, obviously. But then the, the gyrations um, uh, through through the session um, on on currency markets were enormous as well. Uh, one of the key points was um, just after midnight. Uh, it was when Sunderland, the result from Sunderland, came back in. Uh, Eighty-two thousand votes for leave compared to fifty-two thousand uh, for remain. Uh, there was a much bigger gap than expected, and that's kind of when it came on for young and old, Scotty, right? Yes, that was when the moment the uh, cable sheared off a cliff, literally, uh, and then it found a bit of a bounce again, uh, you know, a couple of hundred points, a lazy hundred, a couple of hundred points uh, in the space of about uh, 20 minutes or so, and then uh, as we saw more of the results come through and the, the odds firming up in favour of a Brexit, uh, you know, writing was on the wall. So at this point in time, and we'll see where it's going to end up, and as Chris said, it's going to be a retrospective uh, podcast, this one of sorts, but uh, it's already a 1,500-point pip range uh, for the cable today, which is unprecedented. Uh, it's just, this makes things that's happened during the other global financial crisis look like child's play. It's, it's bigger than what happened then. I've got to say as well, I mean, look, we've had... Overnight, there's been a lot of a lot of big desks would have been in. I mean, we we've had obviously a, full, a fully manned staff in the UK. That would have been the same across the investment banking space as well. So, it will be interesting to see now after such a big fall how Europe and the US deal with this as well. I mean, there could be more blood on blood on the streets, and you know, you've got to look at one. What's the impact? What are the G7 going to say? Is there going to be a coordinated response? Because the Bank of Japan are going to be in all sorts of bother here. You've seen dollar yen trading below a hundred. These are speculative attacks, um, massive inflows into the yen because of this, the big fear of unknown. And then I think the big, the big situation then is, is the political issues. I mean, does David Cameron step down now? Do we see people within his party looking to you know, stand behind him and say, David, don't come? What's going to be the political posturing? Are people going to side with Michael Gove or, or, or um, Boris Johnson? Um, and what does Scotland do? What do Ireland do? I mean, what is what is the genetic makeup of the Tory party going to look like, you know, in a week's time? I, I've just seen a report a short time ago that apparently um, uh, Cameron has been considering what he will do next. He got a letter from, I think, 84 MPs um, uh, last night, uh, UK time, around about when the polls closed, um, and uh, was, you know... Um, large number of his MPs saying that they wanted him to remain as leader um, if um, 
if he, uh, you know, regardless of the result. But Cameron is in a difficult situation now. Um, uh, you know, the Remain campaign, it is extraordinary. It is just extraordinary that the two, the, the, the Prime Minister, um, although he had, his party was split on this issue, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, in, in unison with the, the other major party, the Labour Party, um, were calling for Britain to stay in the European Union, and such was the feeling against Europe uh, in uh, in the United Kingdom, across the United Kingdom, and it wasn't just in the country. Some boroughs of London um, that you would expect to have been comfortable carries for Remain had bigger, much bigger leave votes than, than expected. It really is extraordinary. Just as I'm talking here, S&P 500 futures have just dipped below 2,000. So 1,999. They are down 5% now. Well, they were nearly at all-time highs earlier. So, again, I mean, we're talking about a day where um, you've got a symbolic issue um you know we talk about greece leaving the monetary union that obviously didn't happen they got bailouts and whatnot the eu is obviously a a less significant beast but no one was supposed to leave it was supposed to be hotel california the fact that like you absolutely rightly point out um this necessarily wasn't a play against cameron this wasn't people in the uk saying we want to vote against cameron and his leadership obviously he's not liked in the uk this is a vote pure and simple about not liking Europe. We don't, what, what do they give us? We don't want to be part of this at the moment. Um, you know, I was talking to a guy, um, the other day and his dad, um, needed an operation, but he, because he's going past the, through the NHS, was at the back of a wait, a long waiting list. And he knew that there was some people in, from, from, from parts of Eastern Europe who were ahead of him in the queue. And he's like, well, I don't like this. I'm not a racist. I'm not a bigot. I just pay taxes and I want to be seen first. And he's like, I'm going to vote leave as a result. I don't mind any of the other parts. I don't mind the contributions, but I want to be seen first and I'm going to vote leave as a result. So, you know, I think this is a, you know, this is a big social sway that we've seen in Europe now against, um, in, in the UK against Europe. Not so much necessarily about Cameron's leadership, which of course is, you know, everyone is, is against that, but this is a, a movement against Europe. And I think we've seen that categorically from the British public today. There, I think there's a there's a vote in Italy coming up uh, later this year. I think Spain also has um, some elections. Uh, Sinn Fein, who are the Irish Republicans, Martin McGuinness, who's the, the, currently the leader of the party, um, has uh, said that uh, he thinks that a Brexit vote uh, is a trigger for a, a referendum on uh, the re- reunification of Ireland, which would mean. You know, um, I mean, we might be getting ahead of ourselves here, but that would be, mean uh, Northern Ireland leaving um, uh, the United Kingdom. Um, so where this goes from here um, is extraordinary. This story, uh, this is, I mean, we're seeing the, you know, we're going to talk a lot about the, the market carnage and the immediate reaction and everything, but this has a long way to run. I don't think you can, I don't think you can put, you can put this down to the UK. This is, this is a bigger situation, Paul. I mean, you, you, you're right. I mean, look, Donald Trump, you might not like his, his policies on immigration, and I'm sure most people listening to this podcast don't, and don't agree with what, what most of the things he said, but you can't deny where he's got to is absolutely unbelievable. Why is that? We're seeing a movement against political mainstream, uh, traditional, um, you know, mainstream politics. Um, we're seeing a movement across the world. You know, you rightly point out that Spain have got an election, and that's actually coming, that's coming up this weekend, and Podemos there, you know, the anti-establishment party who've been polling very well. France has an election in April. Marine Le Pen, you know, her first port of call 
is to go to Brussels and, and, and get France out of the monetary union. That's the first thing she wants to do. Um, Beppe Grillo in Italy, in the five-star movement, he used to be a comedian. They've been polling better. People do not want these traditional politics at the moment. And we're seeing a rising up around, the, you know, Scotland. They're going to have another referendum. Ireland, I'll leave, I'll leave that to you. But I can't... The, the Irish question to the I, Irish. I can't, you know, given the... Oh, well, we're probably getting into some, <laughs> some hot water. But, um, you know, if, if they were to have that referendum in Ireland, um, given the, the, the mix of Catholic and Protestants and bits and pieces, you can't see that, I can't see that being a, a particularly friendly affair. Yeah, it would certainly open um, some pretty difficult wounds, which um, the country has worked very hard to, uh, to heal over the past uh, 20 years or so. Um, yeah, it's extraordinary. I'm just going to do a quick um, knock on a couple of uh, on a couple of just a bit of a scoreboard. Nikkei, as we're recording, down more than seven percent. Um, S and P futures, um, uh, S and P 500 futures, as I as I said, um, down more than five percent. Um, the ASX uh, 200 is down three and a half percent. The major banks are down around that level too. Um, uh, the Aussie dollar having traded um, well above 76 cents um, earlier this morning is now trading astonishingly at 73.43. Um, so that's um, 300 points have been smashed off it. Um, uh, I think um, uh, I haven't got the, the, the rate for the 10-year bond, but um, for the Australian 10-year bond, but I know it was heading towards around uh, 2%. Um, and heading for a uh, heading for a record low. It really is carnage, isn't it? It is, and uh, it is at this stage. But I've just noticed over the last uh, last hour or two, whilst it sounds a bit ridiculous saying that the markets have calmed down, uh, you know, talking losses you know, around the region of between sort of two to seven, eight percent in some cases, and that's just uh, in the stocks. Obviously, there's been some uh, larger moves in currency markets. Um, but it just seems to be that, uh, that things have just stabilized around those levels. Uh, and so we need to see exactly how that translates, uh, whether there's a bit of confidence going on or whether perhaps there's a bit of coercion occurring from, uh, from some of the, uh, authorities around the world, uh, just to go in, uh, and sort of act as a uh, temporary circuit breaker on confidence. But the big thing for me is whilst the moves today are enormous and there's, there's no, no beating around the bush about that. What a lot of it is, is just simply an unwind of the, all the bets that were being placed earlier in this week that had all the bookmakers and uh, all, uh, all most of the majority of the polls that were coming out in relation to Brexit saying that uh, that wasn't going to occur. Markets were rallying. Even last night there was a huge move last night, all based around this premise of private polling that was, uh, that was occurring and showing that there was going to be a comfortable win to the Bermain camp. Uh, obviously, that's been proven to be totally incorrect and probably raised a few question marks as well about uh, you know, the, how reliable those things will be moving forward. Well, I think, you know, you look at the options market and the implied probability uh, of overnight sterling um, cable, you know, was at 70%. I mean, these are you feed that implied probability into your options pricing market me- me- models through, you know, the Black-Scholes type environment, and you end up getting a situation where, the moves that we were seeing today were, were just so, so huge that I think you're absolutely right. There was a massive position um, adjustment today, a massive position adjustment. Um, but again, you also get a situation where liquidity becomes a lot thinner. Stops are going off through the markets. 
and those moves are then for exaggerated. And of course, you know, you look at the psychology of people out there, they're going, what does this all mean? What does this mean for the UK? What does it mean if the UK survive and thrive and we, we don't see consumers not spending? And actually, you know what? These guys actually make it. The world doesn't collapse. We don't see the next ice age and the moon doesn't collide into the sun. And we get a situation where Britain actually does quite well. And you go back to Paul's comments about political issues coming through. And then, you know, these guys can't quite get the votes away. So they do a populist measure by offering a referendum in their country. So I think you've got that. People are going, well, we don't really know what to do. So let's sell and, you know, go to cash. Let's go to a neutral position. And, and of course, that moves markets down. And you get a few of the speculators who are taking advantage of the fact that there's no buyers out there and it's easy to move prices down. So that, for that you know, the, let's, the, the, the con, what, what we, for people out there who are now going, what does this all mean? What does this mean now? Where do we go from here? Well, you're going to get a panic of uh, a period of adjustment in volatility. So we'd expect to see some further skittish moves going into next week. The circuit breaker comes from central banks. It has to. We need to see a collective response. We need to see some calming words from the UK, um, whether it's David Cameron or Boris Johnson saying, you know, we're going to be better off and, you know, maybe a period of economics that don't say that the UK is going to suffer. But... We want to see what the central bank response is, the Bank of Japan, the Federal Reserve, the Bank of England, maybe our own RBA. What do these guys say about this situation? How are they going to work together as a collective force? We go back to February 11 when we saw the markets in, in freefall, a collective response. Some people procrastinated this could be the Shanghai Accord where we you know, weaken the US dollar and, and the Chinese currency would then come in board. The point being, in back in February, when the world was about to collapse, we saw a coordinated central bank response. Markets enjoyed that. Let's see if we can have to have the same thing. That's going to be the circuit breaker from this, the central bank response. There, there has to be a response, in my opinion. Uh, with the, the world economy as it is at the moment, it's incredibly weak. The real world economy, it's, uh, it's barely growing and obviously well below trend. The last thing that the authorities can let happen now is a, a financial crisis actually occur because that will just completely derail and it will reduce all the ammunition up from the central banks. They have no choice but to go and be coordinated and be in it together and try and install confidence back into the market. Uh, I think as, uh, as Westy was saying, you know, as, as a period of time goes along, you'll see the volatility dies down and people might see that uh, you know, the sun's still going to rise in the east and set in the west. And at the moment, there's all this fear about the great unknowns. But in this point, they are the only ones who have the power to go and solve it, and that's what they must do. I think, I think the other thing which we were, really want to have a look at domestically, twofold, what did the RBA say now in upcoming rhetoric? Because there's two things that they were looking at to solidify it an August rate cut. One was the, the late July CPI print for Q2, which probably on a headline basis is likely to drop about 20 basis points to 1.1%, probably a little bit higher on the trim mean. The second thing is, of course, like every other central bank who consider this a major uncertainty, is what, does that, what happens from the Brexit. So I haven't had a chance to look at today, but uh, if you look at the 90-day bank bills and see what the implied probability of an August cut is, I would imagine it would, it would have spiked up significantly from around 37%. So I think that's the other thing. The other thing that I really want to have a look at is the funding markets in Australia. You know, if you look at the performance of the Australian banks today, they have really been taken to the woodshed and chopped up. Why? One, because of implied probability and volatility going up. So people like to unwind those income structures. So anything with a high yield gets hit pretty hard. Hence, we've seen that with the Aussie dollar. But what happens now to the wholesale funding markets? I mean, I'll ask you guys this question as well. But, you know, what do you think? I mean, the banks have got to be hit because there's going to be a concern that the wholesale funding markets are going to dry up a little bit. They're going to pay a lot more for that, that high funding task that they've got for the rest of the year. Um, you know, I think that, is that, is that, that's something that you're going to be looking at, David? 
I think it's something everyone's going to be looking at. It. Uh, I just hope that the uh, the maturity profile of a lot of this uh, this debt's got uh, that they've they've borrowed is uh, is going to be for an extended lengthy period of time. Uh, but obviously, BBSW, you know, three month BBSW is going to be something I'll be watching fairly closely over the next uh, next week or two. Because after the 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 GFC and in the wake of the GFC, as um, um, as interest rates um, started to fall again in Australia. Um, maybe over the last four years, the banks did come in uh, for a lot of stick at first for not dropping their, not passing on um, cuts in the official rate um, onto their um, onto their cons- consumers, and that was all because of the higher funding costs that had been loaded into the system because of all of the chaos that um, that, that that built up through 2007, 2008, 2009. Um, so potentially, we might be looking at a situation like that again, whereas if the RBA, which you know has plenty, well, comparatively, compared to some of its global peers, has a fair few shots in the locker left at 1.75% for the official rate. So maybe you see, um, you know, 50 basis points over the, the next whatever period, just, you know, pick a number. But if that doesn't all get um, passed on to, um, passed on to, uh, consumers, we, we we might see a bit of um, some of that um, political pressure back on the banks. Oh, there's, there's no doubt. So yeah, I think David brings up the instrument of choice, the asset of choice, the BBSW, and you know if that does spike up, yeah, I think people will be saying, is it 25 basis points? Is it 50 basis points? How much is going to be passed on? You know, the bank's margins at the moment, depending on which bank you're talking about, you're looking around that sort of two percent level. Um, so those margins will obviously be in play. Um, and yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be holding uh, a banking stock at the moment. We'll have to see, you know, the levels of short interest that come through. Um, you know, we go back to that stage where foreigners may want to try and short Australian banks again. It's been a bad trade at times. And not because of the property market, but... Well, I think, you know, let's see what the property reaction... I mean, the clearance rates at the moment and property is still pretty good. Um, the perception of interest rates going down will, will, will clearly help that situation. Um, yeah, so I don't... I don't I, I'm not... Uh, I mean, David's very, very passionate about the property market. We had a good old chat about it last night. He was, you know, I own a couple of houses, but I wouldn't mind seeing a, a bit of a, a move lower. But um, yeah, I, I don't. I think the, the, the prospect of a, of a rate cut has has gone up, would have gone up significantly on the back of this. The big unknown, and yeah, I mean, the other one, of course, is which we can talk about is what happens now to the Federal Reserve. I mean, clearly. Any chance of a rate hike this year seems to have gone completely off the table, unless we see markets actually saying, do you know what, we've given ourselves a bit of a chance to think about this properly, and actually it's not so bad. The world's, as you say, the sun's going to still come up, but right now we're in that eye of the storm and people are just asking a lot of questions and not getting many answers. That's exactly right. I just had a quick uh, quick squeeze at, uh, at the September 90 year bank bill future, and it's up 12 ticks today. So if you translate that across to uh, to uh, closer near term to the curve, uh, that definitely implies that the uh, the odds of an RBA rate cut uh, look potentially uh, you know, as soon as uh, July would maybe uh, is 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 now being favoured more so than not, uh, which is quite a remarkable scenario, but. Uh, yeah, as, uh, as Chris has said, the uh, the market reaction over the next few days and how policymakers go and, and react to this and try and install some confidence will be key to see actually whether that occurs. But I think you look at from a trading perspective as well. I mean, what 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 is right at the centre of of markets, as it always is, is volatility, implied volatility in the market. It's if you're trading markets, 
it's one of the most fundamental inputs. So if you get low volatility, which of course is where we've been for a while, people look at income structures in the, in the equity market, people like Telstra, people like the banks, and they like to be paid to be in a position. But in the, in the, in the FX market, when you're trading that, when you've got that low volatility, you, you obviously gravitate towards the Australian dollar, the CAD, the CAD and some of these more high-yielding names. What's actually happened today is if you're a fund who trades currencies, your, um, your models are basically screaming out, go short anything with a high yield now. I mean, you're, you're basically, everyone would be shorting this now. It's, it's an unwind of the carry trade. Let's go back to, you know, sh- let's go to short positions on the Australian dollar, specifically against the yen. Now, that's where you're going to be seeing some big volatility. And we have, I mean, it's down, what, 9%, 10% today. That, should, that sort of thing shouldn't happen. Yeah, HSBC, which is trading in Hong Kong, just got completely bloodbath down 7%, but there may be more than that to come. Um, We could expect the British banks, when the FTSE opens, maybe to be down that much or more. Well, I think what you've seen there um, is just a rampant situation where a lot of the guys who have been working overnight um, are saying to themselves, how can we hedge our UK exposure. So you go and short HSBC, you go and short, well, FTSE futures were open and they were down 5 6% or so. Um, but if you have individual stocks, then you're basically going to use, um, you know, a HSBC as your kind of natural proxy. And as soon as that opened at half past 11, everyone started shorting HSBC, knowing that when the UK banking sector, and Barclays is the one you want to have a look at, Barclays will be absolutely destroyed when that comes on, Lloyds, these kind of names. But, you know, HSBC is, is your, was your weapon of hedging, basically, and that's why it's down so much today. Yeah, extraordinary. They've got uh, more than a 1,000 branches around the UK. Um, you know, for people who haven't been to the UK, it's probably hard to, maybe a little bit hard to gra- grasp how, you know, a, a bank with its origins in, in Hong Kong is such a huge consumer brand um, uh, in Britain. Um, it, it, it really is, um, really is extraordinary. Um, I'm just looking at, um, uh, the traffic on the website and everything is, um, you know, we, we often have, you know, big economic stories, um, as among our, our most read, but it is all the dollar. It is global markets. Um, it's, um, the, the lead story on Brexit winning. Um, it's the live blog from earlier. Um, it's um, stories from earlier in the week about currency traders not the positioning for no Brexit, um, and um, you know uh, then all the other uh, analysis about um, uh, the things that are gonna that are um, that are really gonna ha- happen next. Um, really is extraordinary. The other thing that's happened uh, today: gold had just a bonkers day in trade, surging by seven percent. Scotty. Yeah, seven percent at one stage. I think one one thousand three hundred and sixty an ounce. I think it. Uh, I saw the high, or, or give or take a, a buck or two. But uh, you know, cryptocurrencies are doing well as well. Bitcoins uh, up by about eight percent. I think on our last look. So obviously there's a rush to safety. Uh, you know, the people. <laughs> Would you call them safety? I don't know if you call Bitcoin well, safety. Depends depends on who you are and who you are, who you speak to, of course. But uh, it's, you know, perceived you no know, away from alternative, uh, you know, alternative currencies. They're certainly uh, you know, in, in vogue today. But uh, yeah, once again, uh, how how much the bid's going to be is going to be related to you know, the volatility in financial markets over the next uh, you know, tonight's session uh, for us, and then uh, you know how we react on Monday. I think um, you know, I, I think the Business Insider would never do this. But if you were to go through, try me. <laughs> you're just going to go through the papers, and, and the headline that's going to scream out is "Gold finds its shine." Well, gold, gold shine, and, yeah, and no, you know, we're you not know, doing that. You know, we know you're better than that. But there, there will be headlines out there saying that. Um, yeah, if you go into what we've heard over the last week or two weeks from from various officials, um, Donald Tusk, head of the EC, 
comes out and says, if we see a vote to leave, it will be the end of Western political civilization. I thought to myself, right there, that's your biggest contrarian indicator. Well, I thought we might not get any volatility based on that pure statement. Of course, we've seen quite the opposite, it's massive volatility. We then hear George Soros coming out and saying a vote to leave would be Black Friday. Well, you could make an argument that that's come up. But George Soros has been, you know, he, he was actually anti-talking his book or talking against his book because he publicly came out of retirement and told everyone that he was significantly long gold, as has people like Carl Icahn and all these kind of big you know, hedge fund managers. So, you know, if you'd followed their advice, you'd be doing pretty well because, you know, whether or not it was actually buying gold for this UK vote or whether it was just a common belief that... You know, the there's, bank... some, there's a lot of instability around the place now. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, debt levels in the US are, are going up. Um, you know, companies are borrowing more and more money because of the cheap liquidity. You know, there's, there's a very simplistic structure, and that is when you get low growth and low rates for a very, very long, long period of time, it can't go on forever. Something has to give. And, you know, we're at that point now. And if you listen to people like Jim Rickards, who's all he talks about is why you should own gold. Um, their ideas are coming to fruition now. We are, you know, in this negative interest rate world where we've got over $10 trillion, um, and that will probably now be probably closer towards $11 trillion of negative rates. Um, we don't talk about real rates. We're talking about nominal rates being, uh, you know, that, that something like today, I'd imagine 60% of all German outstanding debt will not be eligible for their quantitative easing program, which states that they have to have a yield um, higher than negative 40 basis points, which is where the deposit rate is, or we can't buy that debt. So there'll probably be about 60% of that. We heard a statement out from the Bank of Japan today, which was quoting a range of opinions from a meeting they had on the 15th and 16th. And one of the members of the Bank of Japan says, we can't keep going on at the rate we are running at. We will run out of JGBs to buy from the market. This is something we've been talking about for, for ages now. But the bottom line is, is that the Federal Reserve and the Bank of Japan now are looking at dollar yen below 100 or around 100 and saying, we have to do something. But what are we going to do? I mean, I could sit here for about four and a half hours. You get thoroughly bored about me going, you know, you can talk about China being the biggest concern, US debt being the concern, negative rates around the world going down. The biggest concern for me over the next three years, and why I think if we were going to have a global collapse, it would be because of Japan's fiscal position and the fact that there's going to be a massive failure of our abonomics. I think that would be the issue. You know, they're, they're basically, if they increase their QE program at the next meeting, which is highly likely now, um, you know, these guys are already what was it? I can't remember the statistic now, but they're already a top 20, they're already a top 10 shareholder in something like 20% of Japanese companies. So they increased that, that rate of buying ETFs from around 3 trillion, 3 trillion yen a month, or true 3 trillion yen a year, um, to something like 10 trillion. You know, they'll be the top shareholder of pretty much every company in Japan in a couple of years' time. They're going to corner the JGB market, so there will be no more outstanding debt. They're going to monetize pretty much every, you know, debt instrument there is out there and then they're going to be the biggest hedge fund manager by owning <laughs> most, of the, most of the companies I don't understand how that ends well so they, they pull the plug and then market just goes okay you've admitted that this doesn't work we've got no faith in the Bank of Japan can control prices for using monetary policy um, how does it end well how does it end well I don't know well, that's a very, very good question and something that I wish I could go and answer, but uh, I agree with you totally that uh, it's not going to end well. I'm not sure, like, you know, as you said, there are, they're, they're 
very, very likely now to go and increase their asset purchases, JDB, ETFs uh, and stocks. Uh, and other areas as well. I think that I'm not sure whether it's, it's the end of 2017 or the end of 2018 at the current rate. I think it's 2017. They'll actually have bought the JGB market. Well, that's the problem, right? So at the moment, they'll go out to the secondary market, to the to the investment banks, the pension funds, and say, right, we want to buy um, 80 trillion yens worth of JGBs a year. And you're now getting to a stage where you know the banks are saying, the, the, the pension funds, the life funds are saying. Well, there will be a point where we actually have to hold a certain amount of bonds as a mandate. You know, we are a pension company. We need to hold a certain amount. We cannot go any lower. We will run out of bonds to sell you. So what do they do then? Well, they'll go out to Mr. and Mrs. Watanabe, the members of the public, and say, will you sell us your bonds? Well, I don't think they'll want to. Um, okay, so what do we do now? Well, the, the Ministry of Finance are going to have to print more and more debt just to keep up this run rate. And what happens then? Do we start talking about Zimbabwe? Do we start talking about hyperinflation because they're having to increase this and just, um, you know, central banks can always create inflation. They can. They can always create inflation. The question is, is what does that inflation look like? Is it good inflation or is it just out of control inflation? And that's the problem that you face with Bank of Japan is that if they want to, they can create inflation and they probably will have to do so. But is it going to be good inflation? I suspect it wouldn't be. I want to go back to some of the shock value on this, which is based around we had, so over the past week, the polls increasingly showed Remain uh, edging it out, maybe by about two points. Um, The previous week, it was kind of the reverse. You had sort of 51-49 for leave, and it flipped uh, over the weekend I think there was a YouGov poll in the Sunday Times on the Sunday, and when Sterling opened, that showed um, Remain ahead, and Sterling opened uh, on markets on Monday, and it just there was this gap of I, th- I think uh, you know 100 basis points or so um, when when trade opened uh, in Asia, um, and then it continued to rally through the week, and it hit. The highs of the week, as we touched on earlier, um, uh, highs of six months um, before it all started to unravel, and it then sh- it turned out that the polls were wrong, um, and badly wrong. Now, um, I'd like to get your take on what, in the financial markets, the financial markets placing this kind of emphasis on polling <laughs> for positioning, because um, surely there was a huge argument for making sure that you were squared up um, going into this going into this vote. What do you think, Chris? <laughs> well, I think, I think everyone's now looking at Donald Trump and saying, okay, so this guy's massively, un, massive underdog relative to, to Hillary Clinton, but do we care now? I mean, are the, are the odds even remotely right? Got to trust the polls, mate. Got to trust the polls. Don't trust the polls. Um, Nigel Farage, Farage would say something similar, but a uh, different type of polls. And then you've got a situation where I think if you, if, you, if you actually look at what was actually happening in the polls, right? So Sterling was following um, the odds checker or the... Um, uh, Betfair odds very, very closely. And, and if you actually listen to what the head of William Hill had been saying, I know they're more on the fixed side, um, but if you, if you can, if you even more so on the, on the, the exchanges which move with the money supply, he said that, um, 75% of all the trades or all the bets that they had taken on were for leave. 75%. 
but the money they were taking on for the remain camp was something like six or seven times more. So the average was about 450 quid relative to 70 quid. Um, so the weight of money, the value, absolute value of money pushed the exchanges down to where we were this morning, which I think hit a low point of about 7% probability of a leave. And the absolute number of votes was still staggeringly in favour of the leave. Now, that if you put that into the context of voting, that's like you going to, let's say you could vote and I could vote, and we both go to the polls together, you'd be given six votes and I'd be given one. How is that a fair reflection of what's going? So now you've got a situation where the weight of money just pushed it down, whereas the absolute number, and I think that's really what we're hearing, we should have taken that into consideration a lot more um, than actually going, oh, Betfair have got a 7% chance or whatever, it was the, the number of votes coming through. Well, the situation we're seeing with the polling is that simply you just cannot trust it. Um, I'm sorry, that's uh, honestly. Wish you told me that yesterday. Yeah, well, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's remarkable. And, and look, it, it fooled so many people in the marketplace, didn't it? Like the markets were so confident. Uh, I remember writing a couple of posts during the week and talking about how the you know, binary outcome from the vote, but the, uh, the, the, the outcome itself from the, uh, from the, the vote would be uh, asymmetric. And I couldn't understand for the life of me why people were chasing these games. It was like the vote had already been decided a couple of days beforehand. And I was thinking to myself, you know, are you really willing to go and risk you know, 10 big figures to go and make you know, one big figure in a trade? You know, that's, that's my mentality, was it? And the, the confidence levels last night, you know, when I woke up this morning, I was... Saw the markets, I'm like, geez, I'd know, someone must know something about uh, what's going it's on. I think traders are a bunch of sheep. I mean, we, we all came in and said, oh, it's going to happen. It's all going to happen. We're all going to follow the money. We're all going to follow the polls, and we're just do, do, you know, going blindly. I think there was, like you rightly pointed out earlier, there was a, a sizable position adjustment. People got, who had traded for Brexit had to you know, reverse those positions, and, of course, that pushed the pound up. It pushed futures up and, and equity markets as well. But the, what... If you think about this, you know, we're going to think about this for, for months to come, if not years, and say everyone, you know, this, this was supposed to be a relief rally. Everyone was saying, you know, what, how, how much higher can the pound go before people, you know, sell into the pound and, and the FTSE and all these things because nothing's really changed. They're going to remain part of Europe. And, um, you know, the same old problems are still there, low growth, low inflation, you know, immigration issues and, and, and whatnot. And then you've got a much more polarized society now as a result of the, the referendum. So everyone was thinking, you know, what levels do we want to fade this rally? It was never meant to be a, a Brexit as such. So we've got pretty much the most extreme scenario where we can, where right and up to the first tick of the markets this morning in Asia, no one was really believing it. I went on, on a TV program this morning and I was just, yeah, this is going to be a non-event. This is going to be an absolute non-event. And then the Sunderland um, vote came through and, and, and also the Newcastle vote was a really big one because they were supposed to win by 12 percentage points. They won by one percentage points and everyone went, hang on a minute. <laughs> you know, let's extrapolate this to other regions which were supposed to be heavy favourites of Remain. And could we see a swing in that state as well? Now, I think if you look at the demographics of what the voting we've seen, the elderly have, have voted firmly against EU, which is completely against what we saw in the Scottish referendum where they, all the Scots uh, elderly were worried about a change to status quo in their pensions. They, they, they voted against it. But if you look at the UK now, Wales categorically do not want to be part of Europe. Scotland actually do. Scottish are actually... Yeah, Glasgow and, and, and Edinburgh are very much more. And it's pretty much only parts, pockets of London and the South East which are which are involved and, and were keen to stay. The rest of Britain were totally against, uh, heavily against 
being continued uh, inclusion in the EU. So it's really just massive divides in the country. And I suppose what it does is across uh, Europe, as we um, alluded to earlier, it does give, I suppose, air cover to um, other, um, you know, sort of secessionary popular movements, uh, which, you know, where their leaders will say, look, well, now we need to have our say. Well, I think it's incredible to think that, uh, you know, the UK are now outside of the EU before Australia became outside of the Commonwealth. <laughs> that vote hasn't come through. I'm sure there'll be a few people pushing for that to accelerate. Um, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. We're seeing a political movement. We talk about it, you know, over here. And I mean, well, I just, we've got to see what happens uh, now from the Federal Reserve and, and people like that. The, per- the, the, the area that I think you really want to point at, I'd love to go and see the Indian um, news today because Rajan stepped down, you know, the head of the Reserve Bank of India. And he got so much criticism about his timing. You know, you've stepped down a week before a hugely potentially destabilizing event. And I mean, if you look at the Nifty in India today, it's been, you know, it's been, it's been absolutely smashed to pieces. Um, I would imagine you would probably see a decent sell-off in the rupee today. And, you know, he was criticized for, for his timing of stepping down. Um, and I'd imagine the local press in India would be saying, well, well done. We, we need you at the helm now. We need stability. Um, and, you know, you might see someone like Modi asking him to s- stick around for a little bit longer when his term finishes, I think, in September. But, yeah, I think, you know, if you start talking emerging markets, which I think is an interesting angle to help, to, you know, when you see volatility impact, you know, the, the, the dollar index has had one of its biggest gains in decades today. You know, what does that mean now? So that's the other interesting thing. I'm mean, sort of going on a bit of a tangent. When you've got the dollar index going up, you've got volatility going up, the US dollar liabilities were for these emerging market countries who have borrowed significantly, $10 trillion in, in the very low interest rate environment that the Federal, Federal Reserve conjured up. Um, you know, these emerging markets, specifically out of Asia, who borrowed significant quantities of money, you know, their, their liabilities on this dollar loans are going to go through the roof today. They've gone up significantly today. Mm. So emerging Which markets... Which is what drove the Asian crisis... Yeah. So what happens now to the dollar? We've got to keep our eyes on the dollar. If we see further dollar inflows because people want to look at those safe havens, even though the probability of the Federal Reserve raising rates have probably diminished you know, significantly today. I can, actually, I can actually tell you, Chris, the, uh, there's actually a small chance of a cut from the Federal Reserve being priced in for their next meeting. Well, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, they told, Janet Yellen spoke about that they hadn't ruled out um, negative rates in America. Um, they didn't want to use them and they didn't think they were anywhere near them at the moment. Um, but look at look at James Ballard. Um, Ballard's call. Uh, Jamie Ballard called the other day. You know the St. Louis Fed president, where he 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 was that that member who had no interest rates, basically going out to 2018, based on a recalculation of how he sees the longer term neutral fund rate. And he was supposed to be a hawk, you know. So he's come out with these new calculations and said, oh, "I'm not going to raise rates." The point is, is that. You know, the market's now pricing in a small chance of a cut through whatever you're looking at, the Fed funds rate or the Euro, Euro futures fund rate. There. Um, but emerging markets now, I mean, we, we talk about European banks, the solvency of the European banks. That's one question that I'm going to have now. Um, what's going to happen to emerging markets? The other thing which I think which we I, I look out for Monday, how are China going to deal with the strength of the dollar as well. When we get that fix at quarter past 11 on Monday morning, I don't know how they did this today, but you know the dollar has strengthened so much, multi-decade strengthening today. You're going to see their fix 
they're going to strengthen, they're going to weaken their currency. I, God, yeah, probably one of the record amounts, to be honest. And that could send a second wave of shocks through markets. There, there is now a political decision that needs to be made um, uh, by the British government, which is to invoke. Technically, it's the invocation of Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty, which is the process of starting to withdraw from the from the European Union. That process um, should take uh, two years. Interestingly, the Parliament is not bound, obviously, by um, what MPs cho choose to vote on on the floor of the House of Commons. They're not bound by um, by, by the result of the of the referendum. So there may be some. Um, Political tussling in Britain still, still yet to come on this, um, uh, and if th that, uh, you could imagine that would be very acrimonious. Um, but uh, you'd, you'd also, I mean, let's proceed on the assumption that they will. If you're a, a, a Conservative Party, is a, a kind of split, but um, you know they'll vote it through. I'd say probably an 80, 85 percent probability. I'm no political expert. The the, the Tory Party. A large portion of them are eurosceptics, so you know they're, they're, gonna, they're not going to stand. They're not going to get in the way. And if you think about Labour on the other side of this as well, well, you all want you want to get into power. You want to retain your seat in your in your suburb. If you stand in the way of the will of your people and vote against this, your career is going to be pretty short. <laughs> I mean, there's a movement that's happening in the UK, and they voted against EU inclusion. If you're if you're brave enough to say to people. We're not going to stand for your vote. Well, you know, they're not going to vote for you at the next council elections and bits and pieces. So, you know, you're not going to have a very long career. The, the prospect of this being voted through and triggering an Article 50 with the negotiation period is, is very, very high. I mean, it, it seems illogical that they're going to vote against this. Let's, um, let's, let's also just look at um, immediate signposts. So, um, we've got European US markets tonight. Um, uh, S&P futures are limit down at 5%. FTSE, David, you mentioned, um, you know, obviously rhetoric from the Fed. We'll have to be watched very closely, the Bank of England, uh, very carefully. Obviously, what happens next for us here uh, from the RBA's point of view um, will be um, scrutinized incredibly carefully. Um, what other signposts do you think um, are worth watching in markets? Um, there'll be a plethora of them, but um, what, what, what do you think you'll be watching carefully? I wish, to be honest, though, I just wish I could tell you I was watching the rugby on the weekend. Uh, that's the thing. I really had an interest in watching, and maybe a Wallabies victory. That would be nice. Uh, oh, look, the obvious ones are the VIX, cable, G7 statements, you know, coordinated uh, you know, action from, uh, from central banks. That's what I'm looking for, uh, just to go and, and calm markets down. But it's, uh, who knows, by the time that people listen to this, maybe something's actually been announced and something's occurred, but... Uh, it's it's so up in the air. You don't honestly know what could uh, what to look at and what potentially may happen. I'm looking for um, any kind of rhetoric from Victoria Beckham um, would be would be a good place to start. She's been very much pro Remain, uh, as her husband David had as well. So it'd be interesting. Well, to what see. about Lindsay Lohan on, uh, on Twitter? I heard she had a few uh, few uh, things to go and say. She was a big uh, big fan. Someone fan must of have, Remain. someone must have ta tapped her account because that was just incredible to see today. I mean, she's clearly the passionate. Uh, you know, political analysts these days. But um, no, I, I go back to in all serious note. I think for me, uh, as a macro guy, the thing for that I want to look at is is a further view on what happens with volatility. So watch the VIX. It was up a lazy fifty percent today. Um, you know, a higher VIX changes a lot of dimensions in Australia with with investments in or trading in the banks with high yields and and whatnot. You've got to keep an eye on the European fixed income market. 
You know, you've got to keep an eye on, on the spread between Italian and Spanish spreads relative to German bunds as they widen. You know, we're going to start talking about the solvency of the European banks. We're going to have to look at the Chinese currency on Monday. Um, you know, what happens with emerging markets? These are the things that I'm looking at. And I think, you know, you go back to the, the main issue here in the, in the short term is what do the genetics of UK politics look like as well? Does David Cameron keep his job? Do people rally around him? Do people start making moves? Is it, you know... You know, like, similar to what we saw with, um, you know, our own government when Malcolm Turnbull stepped in, it was all very much, you know, I'm going to back his corner and I'm going to back, you know, that person's corner and, and, and just see how this all works. And, you know, what did the Bank of England do with the move we've seen in the pound? I think all of these are major considerations. And, and it goes back to my point. When you get all of these questions and there's no immediate answers, people sell. And I think that's really what we've seen today. You've been listening to the Devils and Details podcast uh, on Business Insider Australia. Our guest this week has been Chris Weston, Chief Strategist, uh, Chief Market Strategist at IG Markets in Melbourne. It's been a long day, Paul. It has <laughs> been a long. Speak. It has been a long day, um, and I've been here with David Scott too. Until next week. Uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. This show is produced by uh, Josh Nicholas, and we'll be back with you next week. This podcast was delivered by Australia Post. If you've ever received a branded package, you'll know it's a small detail that makes a big first impression. Now with Australia Post, you can design your own personalised packaging. For more info, go to auspost.com.au slash podcast. That's auspost.com.au slash podcast.